good morning. Uh, thanks for bearing with us with the sound. Obviously, if you move to somewhere new like this, you have a, a few teething problems, but hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get those sorted in the next couple of weeks. So... If you turn in your Bibles, if you've got them, to the book of Ruth, we're going to look at uh, chapter 2. It's going to come up on the screen behind me as well, so if you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, or if you'd rather look at the screen, then uh, then that's fine. So it was, I had a few IT issues this week, so I have to admit, I was preparing something else, and then you know when you're fighting with your computer... And you think, I can't throw it out the window because I'll need it again. Um, So this isn't what was originally planned, but in terms of linking in that God's got his back, God's got our back, uh, I uh, I think it's quite timely. So Ruth chapter two from, uh, from verse one. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back, from the Mo- came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves before the harvesters, behind the harvesters, sorry. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down and her face, sorry, with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her gather among the sheaves, and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also bought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where, where did you glean today? Where did you work? 
Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about one of those whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth, the Moabite, said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work with, for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. So we're picking up the story of Ruth in chapter 2. To summarise quickly, chapter 1, Naomi had lost her husband and two sons. She had to tell her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, who were married to her sons, to return to their mothers. But Ruth was determined that she was going to stay with Naomi. And as we read there in chapter 2, these two grieving women have gone back to Naomi's hometown of, of Bethlehem, and now they have to find a way to survive. So just think about this scene for a moment. Ruth is a widow. She's left her homeland of Moab. She's now in another country. She'd be considered a stranger, a foreigner, an outsider. And her mother-in-law, also now a widow, has seemed to have given up. She's saying that the hand of God is against her. But you know what? Ruth, although she was a foreigner, she had a different God. She wasn't inclined to just sit back and lick her wounds in that situation. Because she knew that they had to survive. She knew that they had to eat. And she knew that that meant going out to work in the field. She had to go gleaning. And that's what she did. She was gleaning in the bar barley harvest since they arrived back in Bethlehem. But what is this gleaning? Any, any gleaners in here? Anybody in, a, a paid gleaner? No? No. Well, the gleaning was the custom of allowing the poor people to follow the, the reapers, the harvesters in the field, and pick up the fallen spears of grain. It, had the custom, it was custom, and it had gone back to the very early agricultural laws of the Hebrews. In Leviticus 19, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land... Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And in Deuteronomy, it says, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So by gleaning, Ruth knew that she could support herself and Naomi. And straight away here we have a demonstration, don't we, of God's compassion, God's provision for those who are poor, for those who are needy. He gives instructions, doesn't he, to the, to the people, to the landowners and the harvesters, that they are to leave behind what they've dropped. Can you imagine that today? Farmers are under so much pressure to, to gather every tiny little scrap, aren't they? It's all profit, it all, it's all goes towards the cost. But, you know, we haven't got any farmers here, have we? We haven't got any crops. We have, nobody, nobody's got a field of crops, have they, going there? But it applies in other areas, doesn't it? We may not have crops for people to glean from, but that principle applies, doesn't it, about actually there is a need for us to provide for others. What we don't, what, what we've got spare, we should offer to those who don't have. That, that principle still applies. You'll note, too, though, 
but the poor people didn't just receive it. They had to go out and collect it. It wasn't brought to them. Now, I know sometimes people genuinely can't work and can't do that. But actually, there's a message here that actually, if you can work, if you can do, then you should. In verse 3, picking it up again, it, it, we read, As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, what would seem like a chance was actually, we know, God's hand, God's providence in action. Boaz was a relative of Elimelech, who was Naomi's deceased husband. And if this was an old movie, you can imagine them saying the line, of all the fields, in all the farms, in all the countries, she had to walk into mine. And we need to be alert, don't we? We need to recognise that those apparent coincidences in life are actually God-appointed events. There's that story, isn't there, about the, the man who heard on the radio about a storm coming and the risk of flooding. And he prayed, God, protect me from the flood. A little while later, the rescue team came knocking the door and said, Sir, you need to leave your house. The storm's coming. They're predicting floods. You need to go. And he said, It's okay. My God will protect me. The waters came. He got into the, uh, up to his ankles, up to his knees, and a boat came down the street. They knocked the door and said, Sir, please come with us. We'll get you to safety. He said, It's okay. My God is going to protect me. The rain kept coming. The flood water kept coming. He had to go up on the roof to escape. The helicopter flew over. The winchman came down. They said to him, come, come with us now. We'll get you to safety. He said, no, my God is going to protect me. Well, the man drowned. And when he got to heaven, he said, God, I prayed. I believed you were going to protect me. You were going to save me. Why didn't you? And God said, I sent the rescue team. I sent the boat. I sent the helicopter. What more do you want me to do? Those apparent coincidences could be God's intervention. We can have a confidence, don't we, that God's got everything under control. I saw a, a quote from a book titled The Conspicuous Love, which says, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions. That sovereignty overrules them and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought to more earnestly contend to than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne. For it is God upon the throne whom we trust. This morning then, I want to jump down to verse 12. It says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. We read in that passage that Boaz blessed Ruth for taking care of her mother-in-law. It was a kind and considerate thing to do. She was working hard to provide for the two of them, and Boaz prayed a blessing on her hard work because he recognised that, that Ruth's sacrifice was a godly one. Now that phrase, under the wings of God, now, obviously, God doesn't, God doesn't have actual, literal wings. Uh, it's an expression, isn't it, about the security, the protection that he offers to us as his children. Has anybody seen how uh, a, a mother bird or a mother hen 
protects her young, gathers them under the wings, gives them shelter, warmth. That's the kind of image that, that's, that's being presented here. That's how God protects his people. In Psalm 57, it says, Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. But actually, what is it like under the wings of God? Well, if we look at the story of, of Boaz and Ruth, we can see the gentle care that he provided for her. And that's a, a model of the beautiful, gentle love that God has for us. We know that Boaz was a man of great wealth, a man of good standing in the community, apparently a man after God, and he looked after his workers. He greeted them with the, and his arrival from Bethlehem by saying, the Lord be with you. And then his attention is caught by Ruth. Who does that young woman belong to? And it's the beginning of a, of a love story, isn't it? A human love story between Boaz and Ruth. But actually behind those scenes of that is a developing love story as God is romancing Ruth into a relationship with him. In the same way that Boaz took special notice of Ruth, God takes special notice of you this morning, takes special notice of me, special notice of all of us this morning. And God was demonstrating through the person of Boaz his love for Ruth. She was poor. She was helpless. And you know what? Despite everything we have, ultimately, so are we. In Romans 8 it says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did Boaz do for Ruth? Well, in verse 8, he asked her to stay in his field. In verse 9, he protects her from harm. Also in verse 9, he provides her with water to quench her thirst. Verse 14, he gives her bread to eat. eat. Verse 15, he blesses the work of her hand. In all, he loves her. And just as Boaz made provision for Ruth, God has made provision for us. Boaz requested Ruth to stay in his field. And you know what? God desires that you stay in his field. I'm not talking about an actual field. We don't go and sit in the field of God. Um, but he wants you to stay in his field. He wants you to stay in his presence. He wants you to stay close to him. That includes in church. He wants you to be in church. He wants you to remain in church, to fellowship with others. And there's a place for you here in this church to, to meet. In Hebrews 10 it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So, firstly, God wants us to remain with him. Secondly, God protects us from harm. Boaz protected her by encouraging her to stay with his female workers and ordered the male workers to leave her alone. There was a story that on the 1st of March 1950, a choir practice was due to take place in a church in Nebraska. The pastor and his wife and daughter were ready to leave to get there for 7.30. But as he's away with children, she vomited on the way out the door and they had to change her, making them late. A high school student was having trouble doing the geometry homework and stayed to finish, even though she usually got there early. So she was going to be late. Two sisters were delayed because their car wouldn't start. And Mrs. Schuster usually arrived at 20 past seven, but tonight she had to go and see her mother, and so she had to stop there first. Someone else took a nap and overslept. One by one, all the people that were due to be there 
arrived late. At 25 past seven, the church blew up due to a gas leak. So these seeming coincidences is actually God's protection. We can rest assured that God will take care of us, can't we? That's not a promise of problem-free living. Easy for me to say. Um, we still face trials and we still face difficulties. We still face problems. But actually, in those instances, perhaps God's allowing that hardship for a greater purpose. Ultimately for our good and definitely for his glory. You know, it can be difficult, can't it? The Archbishop of Canterbury was interviewed the other week and one of the questions he was asked is, why does God allow suffering? And he said, I can't give you a nice, tidy answer to that. I can't. I can't. I can't. If he can't do it, what chance have I got? But what I can say is God's, words, God's word promises that he will protect us, he'll protect all of his children. And I'm sure there's people here who can think of instances when God has been their protector. Thirdly, God provides us with living water. Boaz offered Ruth the chance to freely drink from the water that had been drawn by his servants. They'd have been working in very hot conditions, very dry conditions, and they would have become very thirsty. And you know what? Sometimes in life we can go through situations and it just feels like you're dry, doesn't it? It just feels like you've got nothing left to give, that you need something to help. And it's those times that God says, I've got living water. I've got li living water. We finished Alpha this week at living water. It's been brilliant. But I've got living water that will satisfy you in your life. Re in Revelation 22:17, he says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Fourthly, God provides us with the bread of life. Ruth was gleaning to get natural food. And you know what? In doing that, she was more than satisfied with what she had. She even had some leftovers. And in the same way as we heard a few weeks about how God fed the Israelites in the wilderness with manna from heaven and they didn't go hungry, God promises to meet all our needs. Not all our wants, all our needs. He feeds us with the bread of life, Jesus. John 6, 48-51, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So, the bread of life. And fifthly, God blesses the works of our hands. God doesn't always do the work for us. But if we honour God in all that we do, in our jobs, in what we do for others, he'll reward us with the extra gleanings. Just as Boaz ordered his servants to pull out some of the grain of the sheaves for Ruth, we'll receive those extra gleanings too. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. We have, in the gentle care provision of Boaz, a physical description of a divine, loving God and how he cares for us. 
Boaz made sure that Ruth was provided for and protected from harm. She was welcome to stay in the field for as long as she needed. She was actually given more than the gleaning rights she was entitled to. She was allowed to get water whenever she wanted. She was invited to sit with workers, with the other workers. And she was actually given so much to eat that she had some left over. Further into the chapter from verse 18 we read that Ruth took the gleanings and the good news back to Naomi. Naomi gives Ruth a blessing to stay close to Boaz. And we learn that they were welcome to glean until the end of harvest time. See, Ruth arrives home with what's estimated to be about two weeks' worth of food, which she gleaned in one day. It's not a bad return, is it? And we witness a massive perspective shift from Naomi. Because she thought God had turned her hand from her. She'd lost her husband. She'd lost her sons. But God's provided protection and sustenance for the two women. And Naomi is thrilled. She has her eyes open to actually what's always been the case. God never abandoned her. God never turned his, head, his face from her. He'd continued to be with her. She was, she was walking by sight and not by faith. But actually now she sees in the physical. And she blesses Boaz. She proclaims the goodness of the Lord. Most importantly, perhaps for us, she brings into light this concept of the guardian redeemer, the male relative who will save. And if you know the story of Ruth and going on to, to the chapters, you'll know that Boaz and Ruth marry. They have a son called Obed, who has a son called Jesse, who has a son called David, David, who would later become King David, and whose genealogy goes all the way through to Jesus Christ. So there's quite a contrast in Ruth. We've only read chapter 2, but it's quite a contrast compared to chapter 1. And from what we've said, I think you can gather that. Chapter 1, quite sad, maybe discouraging. Husband dies, sons die. And then chapter 2 unfolds with promise. And you know what the challenge for us is to see that God is behind the scenes working for us, bringing everything out for our best. So in conclusion this morning, is there a Boaz in your life who's demonstrating the very tangible ways that God loves us? If there is, thank God for them. Thank God for that person. Thank God for your Boaz. If you don't have one, pray that God sends you a Boaz, someone who will provide, who will care. Perhaps more importantly though, are you someone else's Boaz? Are you demonstrating the love, the care, the kindness of God to somebody else? What we say and what we do can be a reflection of who we are in Christ. And if we've been changed as Christians, then we should reflect God to others. God wants to use every Christian as a Boaz to help the Ruth and Naomi's out there. Can you think of any Ruth in your life? Anyone who needs that care, who needs God's love? Maybe physical demonstration of that love in some way through buying something for them maybe. Providing for them in some way.
And then finally, maybe there's somebody actually who's not yet un- knows what it means to be under the wings of God, who doesn't yet really know what it's like to know His love and protection, to know, as we did with the kids, that He's got a plan to care for you, for me, for all of us here. If that's you, then know that God is calling you to find shelter under His wings. Maybe you're feeling left out, forgotten. Maybe you've drifted away a bit from God, from where, from where you, you know you should be. He's calling you back to be under the shelter of his wings. So that we can say, thank you God for noticing us. Thank you God for desiring that we stay close to your family. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for providing us with living water and living bread. And thank you for blessing the work of our hands. Amen.